Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. For those of you that don't know who I am, by the way, I'm, I'm Pastor David. I'm college, young adult, and missions pastor here. So I spend a lot of time speaking to young people. And I was a youth pastor for most of my life before this. So, uh, And a lot of those times in speaking to those groups, I often remind them that God just doesn't save us to have a relationship with Him only. If that were the case, it would be better for us if He would just take us on up to heaven like He did Elijah so that we could be with Him and we would be uh, free from the, the presence of sin in this world that so in- easily, the Bible says, entangles us. We would be free from everything daily that tries to take our eyes and our focus off of the prize, our eyes off of Jesus, right? But He doesn't just save us for a relationship with Him only. Instead, He saves us here, and He leaves us here on this earth for us to collectively be His church. And that's who we are. We're His church. If you are a born-again believer, and I just probably believe that most people here on Wednesday night are. Sometimes you get some that are not, but most of the time your faithful people that come on Wednesday night are believers. Um, and, And you are the church. You and me, we make up the church, His church. And, you know, the, if you've been at Connect Church a long time, for a while, you've probably heard Pastor Anthony say this, that the church is not a place, but a people. The church is not a building, but it's a body. Uh, the church is not an organization, but it's a living, breathing organism. And we are made and left here on this earth, saved and left here, to glorify God in everything that we do. We're here to bring glory to His name by loving and serving others, uh, and through His Holy Spirit, we are here to, to help build His kingdom, His heavenly kingdom, while we're still here on this earth. And He leaves us here as His church, and He tells us to go and make disciples. He leaves us here for the sake of the gospel, the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, you know, I believe no one knew the importance of living his life for the sake of the gospel more than the Apostle Paul. Listen to what Paul wrote to the Romans. He wrote this, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. You see, Paul understood that the gospel had the power, and it was the power to save people. But Paul also understood and knew that it was important for others, for non-believers, to see believers living that Christ-like life out in front of them. Listen to what else he writes to the church at Corinth. He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do it all for the glory of God. Don't, uh, do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews or Greek or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. You see, Paul was saying here that we need to relate to others. We need to adapt to them as much as possible but we need to do it in a a non-sinful way. Paul never crossed that line. He never sinned after he, he, well, I don't say never, but that was his goal. That was his mission. He understood, uh, and and, and he said it best in in this chapter. He says, I become all things to all men so that I may by, by all means save some. I do things all for the sake of the gospel. You see, he realized again it was important for people to see the church living out their true identity that was found in Jesus Christ. Paul lived his life for the sake of the gospel, 
And church, we must do that today. Today, you know, more than ever, today, the, the, the day that we're living in, 2020, it's been such a crazy year. And now it's an election year, and I'm not going to get off on that tangent, but it's so important that uh, Kyle and I were talking before. You know, we can be divided on our politics, but let's be united as the church, right? And let's move forward. Let's don't let those differences get in the way of us being unified in Jesus Christ. Now, if you turn, if you look at there in, in Philippians chapter 4, the first, um, <clears throat> first three verses, you'll notice that the first word in that chapter says, therefore, and you've probably heard pastors say this all your life, when you see that word therefore, you need to look and see what it's there for. And really, what Paul is talking about here and alluding to in the first three chapters of his letter here to the church of Philippi, he laid down some doctrinal foundations for our joy. Why we believe, what we believe our joy is based on. And of course, that's our relationship with Jesus Christ. But in chapter 4, we see a shift from doctrinal teaching to practical living. This is a very practical sermon. Uh, and this Joyce relationship uh, and what it looks like uh, for everyone else, what our relationship Jesus looks like to a lost and dying world, to others that are a part of the church. And our lives, the way we live it, affects others. And that's what Paul is going to be talking about here in just a little bit. He says, therefore, and, and then he goes on to the end of that verse. He says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord. So what Paul is saying in essence, therefore, based on the teachings that I've taught you, the things that you've read in the first three chapters or sections of this letter that I wrote to, the, to you, the church at Philippi, he says, these things, it's now time to take these things and stand firm on these things. Listen, as a church, we need to always stand firm on the Word of God, right? That needs to be our final say. We need to turn to God's Word and live accordingly to His Word. If you'll notice also in that first verse, Paul leads out with an exhortation or some words of encouragement. Look at what he says. He says, to my brothers and sisters. First of all, he identified the church as the family of God. We are the family of God. Remember that. There's no family more important on this earth other than your, your immediate family, your blood family, than the church. You're, the church should be, you should recognize one another as brothers and sisters. That's what Paul's doing. And he says this, to you whom I love and long for. Now, remember where Paul was at when he was writing this letter. He was in a Roman prison, miles away from these people. And, and these were people that he loved. These were people that he longed to see again. You know, Paul was coming through this area on, a, on his second missionary trip and was real instrumental in, in getting this church off the ground and starting. And this church had been a church for about 10 or 11 years at this point where Paul, where they're receiving this letter and writing this letter. So he says, to you whom I long, who I love and long for, and then he calls them this. He says, my joy and my crown, my joy and crown. If you've ever been in, a, in a, any type of leadership position and you've led people, they become your joy and crown. Did, did you notice what Pastor Zach said up here just a little while ago? He talked about how proud he was of the fact that, that he, can, he can do something else. He can run sound or greet people or do something else while the people that he's kind of led in ministry can come out and lead. And, and so if you would ask Pastor Zach, he would probably say that this worship team up here tonight was part of his, his reward, his joy while he's here on this earth. Uh, I've had I've had I've got a youth intern. He got his he was interning from a, a previous church that I was with in youth ministry, and he got his first call to ministry just a, about a year or so ago. He's serving as youth pastor at a church in Knoxville, and he calls me 
a lot, and he just asked me questions, and how did you handle this? How do you, he called me just the other day, and he said, he said, David, I've got a real, I've got a real situation. I really need your input on this. I said, okay, what is it? He said, how do you deal with parents? <laughs> and I said, listen, when you figure it out, let me know, because I would love to know, but no, I told him, I said, listen, you get on board with your parents, and you together uh, learn that together you're to love and to bring that, their, their student up and, and their kiddo up in, in the ways of God. And I said, you team up with those parents. I said, they'll be your biggest assets. I said, they may be a little concerned at first, but when they see your heart, they're going to come alongside you and they're going to help you, help you serve Jesus together. But, but they, Paul said he calls this group of this church at Philippi my joy and my crown. But then he turns his attention. He goes a little different direction. He turns his attention to a conflict that has risen between two believers in the church. And let's look at verses 2 and 3 here. He says this. He says, I plead with Euodia, and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause or for the sake of the gospel, he says, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. Now, this is the first time we, you've, we've ever read these two specific women's name in the Bible. And as I was studying this uh, to preach this sermon throughout the week, last week, and even into this week, I thought, man, that was kind of a bum deal to get your name, to get your name written in, in the book, right? Euodian Syntyche, they made the book, and that's a big deal. But they kind of made it because they were arguing, and I thought, wow, that's, that, that's kind of tough to to be called out by the Apostle Paul. And that's what he was doing. He was kind of calling them out, holding them accountable publicly because, and, and we'll find out in a minute why, because they were important to this church. And uh, the more you read about it, uh, we don't know a lot about them, but we know this. We know their names, Euodia and Syntyche. Euodia's name means prosperous. Syntyche's name means fortunate. So, you know, with names like that, you wonder why they had conflict, but maybe they were just so much alike. I don't know. The Bible doesn't really say, but Paul did say, you know, he was concerned that these women were at odds. Now, we know this about them. They were believers from Macedonia region, and they were part of the church at Philippi. And again, on that second missionary trip, if you go back to the book of Acts, I think it's chapter 16, but it's in the book of Acts somewhere along there. Paul and Silas were on their second missionary trip, and they were going into the city of Philippi, and they had heard about a prayer meeting that was taking place down by the riverbank, and they were going to go and sit in or join in on this prayer meeting, and when they got there, there was a, the Bible says there was a group of women, women talking by the river, and it said that Paul and Silas sat down with them. And, you know, I just couldn't help but wonder. The Bible doesn't say, but in my imagination, I thought, I wonder if Euodia and Syntyche were there. If they were, I'm going to ask Paul that, or Euodia and Syntyche one day when I meet them in heaven. I'd like to just ask, you ever think things like that when you read the Bible? You just kind of imagine. But I wonder if they were there, if, and if they were, it means they were, they were start of the church plant, kind of like Connect Church. They were there at the beginning. Regardless, though, if they were there or not, we do see in this chapter, in these verses, that they were strong Christians. Listen to how Paul describes them. He says, help these women, talking to one of, the co one of his other uh, brothers. Probably, some people think that may be the pastor. He says, my true companion, help these women. He says this, since they have contended at my side for the sake of the gospel. Uh, the word says they contended at his side. They fought 
side by side for Paul with Paul for the sake of the gospel. So by that, we can see that these two ladies were, were strong believers. And at one point, Paul had, had, had worked with them. And, and we also know that it's, that, it's, um, that it's important because if you think about it, and I looked, I looked and did the math and, and the measurement, Paul was in a prison in Rome, and this church in Philippi was some 4,600 miles away. So for somebody to, to see that it was important to send a letter first to Paul in prison, or even go visit him there, who knows, but the Bible doesn't say that, but somebody got word to Paul that there's a conflict between Euodia and Syntyche, 4,600 miles away, and Paul thought it was important enough for him to write a letter, and in that letter that we see in, in the book of Philippians, one of the first things after you see all this doctrinal teaching and doctrinal foundation being laid out, one of, the mo one of the first things he's teaching us practically to live out is how to get along with one another. And we'll see th that in a little, a little bit more. But he goes on to say, along with Clement and other co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. So again, Paul, he states the fact that these, women's were, these women were believers because their name was written in the book of life. So Paul, in a letter, addressed the issue... And what I want to look at is just in the time that we have left is just two things that I believe Paul was saying to the church at Philippi. And I believe what we could be saying to our own selves today as we look at this. Um, so the first thing I think Paul was saying here, for the sake of the gospel, he was saying to these two ladies, for the sake of the gospel, settle your conflict. Settle your conflicts. He said, I plead with you, Euodia, I plead with you, Syntyche. Notice he didn't say, I plead with you, Euodia and Syntyche. He made it personal to both women. He said, I plead with you, Euodia, and I equally plead with you, Syntyche. He addresses both of them, and he's saying, settle your issues. Now, some translations that you have may read, I urge you, or I implore you. And then there's some translations that uses a, a, a biblical word that we don't use a lot in these days, but it says, I beseech Paul said, I beseech you, and that word beseech carries the meaning of someone urgently and fervently with passion begging someone to do something. In this case, Paul is pleading with these women to settle their conflicts. You know, you can almost see Paul writing this from prison, um, probably with tear-filled eyes, knowing that, that the church was being, uh, was being affected by this, this conflict between these two women. You maybe, maybe you could hear the urgency. Maybe somebody in the cell next to Paul could hear the urgency in his voice as he kind of dictated to himself as he wrote. You know, Paul understood the value of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, he was willing to be in prison for it more than one time. Time and time again, he was willing to be in prison for the sake of the gospel. And he knew this conflict, if not resolved, could undermine and destroy relationships in the church that were meant to point people to Jesus. Understand something, church. We, one of the main reasons we exist, and God leaves us here on this earth, is to point other people to Jesus Christ, to bring other people along with us in this journey. Jesus said this. I, he said, my desire is to see no one perish, but everybody come to, come to know eternal life, to come to know me as their Lord and Savior. That was Jesus. And so Paul was, it was very important. And you know, um, as, as I read about this conflict, I took just a few minutes and, and I kind of read back over the first three chapters of Philippians. 
just to kind of remind myself of what we've talked about, what Pastor Anthony has preached about in here over the past several weeks. And, and, a, and a pattern really started to develop as I read that. I believe Paul had a, had a strong desire for God's church, for you and I, to become strong relationally, to build strong and solid friendships. Listen to some of the things that Paul prayed for and some of the things Paul said in the first three chapters. And I'm just going to read through four or five of them here. He said this. He said, I, Paul prayed this, that our love for one another would overflow more and more every day. That's what he prayed for. That was Paul's prayer. That our love for one another would grow more and more. He said in a later passage that we, the church, are in this fight together. And that reminds me of what he said to Euodia and to Syntyche. He said, ladies that, that contended by my side, that fought alongside of me for the sake of the gospel. Church, Paul says here that we are in this fight together. You and I, we are in this fight together to win lost men, lost women, lost children to Jesus Christ. That's one of the reasons he leaves us on this earth. We're in this fight together. He said this, that we should think of others as better than ourselves. Don't think only about your own interests, but be interested in what others are doing too, what's going on in their lives. Um, he said this, that we should agree wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together with one heart and with one purpose. He said that we should stay away from complaining, complaining and arguing. You remember Pastor Anthony preached that a few weeks ago. We should stay away from complaining and arguing. And then he went on to say that we should live clean and innocent lives as God's children. There again, making the reference that we're the family of God. We're all in the family. If we believe in Jesus Christ, we're in the family. Um, you know, I believe this with all my heart. I believe that our friendships with fellow believers should be the strongest friendships that we have on this earth. And I believe they should show other people Jesus. Friendships that we have, some of the strongest, if not the strongest, should come within the church. And it might not just be someone in Connect Church. You may have a good friend that goes to another church, but understand they're all part of the church, right? When I talk about the church, I'm not just talking about Connect Church. I'm talking about a body believers everywhere. Uh, the, the church of Jesus Christ, God's church. Um, Galatians 6.10 says this. Paul said it again to the church in Galatia. As we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. Um, I love the way John Piper put it in a quote about our, our friendships. It said, he said this, Christ did not die to create worshiping individuals. He died to create Christ-exalting friendships called the church he died to create christ exalting friendships listen if if we, we we were to love one another like jesus asks us to man the world would see friendships that they would desire and want to have and want to get in on you know they're going to be jumping at the chance to get to be a part of the church but understand something and i just want to stop and say this right here as a local body of believers we are not always going to agree on everything, are we? We're going to disagree on some things. Uh, and it's okay to disagree. I shared with the, with the church on Sunday, sometimes when we have staff meetings and Pastor Anthony throws some things out, he looks at us and, and says, guys, push back. If you don't agree with me, push back. He invites, push, he invites disagreement. 
But I can guarantee you one thing, if there, if there are disagreements among us, before we leave that meeting, we're united in one cause and in one way, and we walk out of there in unity with one another. And it's okay to disagree. It's not okay to let that disagreement turn into a conflict that divides us, though. As I was, as I was studying this, I just kind of, I just like to Google some things, and I just Google quotes on agreeing and disagreeing. And I saw a quote by a lady, and when I saw her name, I thought if any two people on this earth ever agreed on everything, it was these two people. The quote was by Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's wife. They've been married for about 60 years at this point. They were married for 63 before Ruth passed away. But the quote was by Ruth Graham, and a reporter asked her, you and Billy had been together for so long, do you all agree on everything? You know what Ruth Graham said? She said this, she says, no. If two people agree on everything, one of them is unnecessary. If two people agree on everything, one of them is unnecessary. You don't need the other person. And I thought to myself, man, I've got to start disagreeing a little bit more often, you know, when, when, when God leads me to, because I want to be necessary. But, but I thought that was a great quote. But again, Paul is saying we must be careful not to let those disagreements turn into conflict, which in turn will hinder the gospel message of Jesus. But listen, if they do, just like Paul was calling Euodia and Syntyche, and he's calling for his, his true companion to help him to solve the conflict, listen, we, gotta, we have to deal with these things in a loving and caring way with forgiveness and with reconciliation being the end goal and the end result. It does, it's not a matter of who's right and who's wrong, but it's a matter of, of resolving these issues with forgiveness and reconciliation in mind. Remember the words of Jesus when Peter came to Jesus and said this. He said, Jesus, he said, how many times should I forgive someone? Seven times? And Peter threw out a number seven, and Peter probably thought that was a big number because rabbinical law required forgiveness for only three times, and Peter was probably thinking this is more than two times what the rabbis say that we need to do, so Jesus is probably going to be pretty pleased with my answer. But then Jesus looked at him and said, no, Peter, not just seven times, but seven times 70. And I know some Bible translations say 77 times, and some say seven times 70, which is 490. But the, the point is here, Jesus was not looking for a fixed number. What Jesus was, was saying to Peter is this. He was saying, Peter, if someone comes to you and they're truly repentant in their heart, and they ask for, you for, they ask for your forgiveness... He says, you forgive them. He said, what Jesus was saying, that our forgiveness has no limits. Just like Jesus' forgiveness has no limits. You know, it's not like this. When Jesus died on the cross, right, he died once. He died for, for sin once and for all. He died for sins that had been committed. He died for every future sin that would be committed. He doesn't keep a tally of our sins. But listen, think about your own life, because I did this. I thought about my, about my life. If Jesus had to forgive us each time we did something wrong, how many times has Jesus forgiven me in the 56 years I've walked on this earth? It's probably more than 70 times seven times, right? But it wasn't a fixed number. Jesus was saying if, if, if they're truly repentant, if they're seeking your forgiveness, you have to forgive them. Jesus says forgive others as, as you have been forgiven, as I have forgiven you. So Paul here says, I plead with you, Euodia, I plead with you, Syntyche, for the sake of the gospel, Settle your conflicts. Listen, I know we're a new church. Just turned two years old, basically, a couple of weeks ago. And we've not had just a ton of conflict in our church. 
But if there is conflict in anyone's life, and again, I'm not, I'm not pointing fingers because I don't know. I just preach, preaching this message out of Philippians chapter 1. But if there is, listen, as Paul told these two women, settle your conflict for the sake of the gospel. We have to settle our conflict for the sake of the gospel. We have to settle it because it's not worth the cost of what it may be costing others to see us in conflict. So Paul says the first thing we need to do is settle uh, our conflicts. And I think the next thing Paul is saying for the sake of the gospel, that we need to focus on unity. He's saying we need to focus on unity. Paul is, is not saying that what these two believers were in a disagreement about was not important. He's not saying it at all. It could have been something very important that just kind of got out of hand. He's not saying that they should just sweep these concerns and this conflict under the rug and move on. He's not saying that at all. But he's urging them to, to yield these things, these concerns, these differences, this conflict, to yield these things to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And he says, be of one mind in him. Be of one mind in the Lord. Listen to what he says in Ephesians chapter 4. As a prisoner for the Lord, Paul says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Man, he's, he's, he mentions that word one a lot, doesn't he? We need to be one. And he starts that out. He says, I urge you, again, he's pleading, he's urging, he's begging, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And listen, I'm speaking to every believer in here. When God saved you, he placed a calling on your life. You have a calling. And I'm not just talking about a calling to preach. I had a calling to preach. Maybe you didn't have a calling to preach, but there's a calling on your life. There's a, he saved you and left you here for a reason. And that's to minister to people, that's to love people, that's to serve people, that's to lead people, that's to do something. There's a lot of gifts that the Bible talks about, but understand something. I believe every believer has a calling placed on their life. And it's our job to dig in and to find out what that calling of God is. The number one calling is just for us to glorify God in everything we do. But we have that calling. If you're saved, you, you are called. Then he says this in verse 2. He says, here are the characteristics that you must live out, that others must see in your life as you are being called and as you work, live this worthy life. He says, you've got to be humble. He says, you've got to be gentle. You've got to be patient. And you've got to bear with one another in love. You know, it's easier to put up with someone if you really, truly, genuinely love them, right? I'm a living, walking example of that. My wife has known me for 35 years. We've been married for 32 of those years, and she has put up with a whole lot over, the, over those years. And you know why? When I look at her, I think, you know what? You've put up with me because you love me. Because I'm not always this lovable person you see. You know, sometimes I, I'm, I'm like Euodian Syntyche. <laughs> Things come up, you know. Uh, but, but, she, but if we truly love one another, listen... When we do get into conflict, we should want to settle those things quickly and biblically and follow Paul's advice here. He goes on to say this. He says, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. Listen, notice he says this. It says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. Make every unity to keep the unity of the spirit. 
It's not our job to create unity. Understand that. Uh, perfect unity has always existed between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Perfect unity has always existed with them. And when we become saved, when we become Christians, and we trust Jesus as, as our Savior, listen, we enter into that unity with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We have the Spirit in us, and because of that, we are in Christ, and we are in that unity. We don't create that unity, but Paul says we have to fight to maintain that unity. And that's why he's pleading with these women in this, in this passage here to settle their conflicts because he's pleading for them to keep the unity. You know, um, we are, when we are saved and born into that family of God, we enter into that unity. And, you know, we like to say here at Connect Church three things, and you've probably heard Pastor Anthony say these too. We love God, we love people, and we make disciples. And as I was thinking about this and preaching that, I thought this right here. If I love God with all my heart, which the Bible calls me to do, and if you love God with all your heart, if you love other people as yourself, and I love other people as myself, if I put a priority on making disciples, and you put a priority on making disciples, if, if we do those things, and if we want what God wants more than anything else in this world, unity exists. Unity is supreme in the church when you, are, you and I are tuned in to God, when you, are, you and I keep our eyes focused on Jesus. And, and I was, as I was doing this sermon, I just this song popped into my mind. It was an old hymn from a church, my home church that I grew up in in Gatlinburg. And the old hymn, the name of the hymn was, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And I just want to read four verses out of this song. It says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Keep your eyes focused on him. Look into his wonderful face. And the things of this earth that divide us, that separate us, that try to tear us down, that Satan so, so craftily and slyly uses to come in between relationships and break them down, if we keep our eyes on the prize, which is Jesus Christ, those things really become dim and those things really become small in light of his glory and his grace. We've got to keep our focus on him. A.W. Tozer, the great evangelist, the great preacher, explains this in a wondrous concept. It's about attuning a piano, and he relates it to, to the unity of the church. Listen to this. This is so incredible. Even my son-in-law commented, and I know when my son-in-law praises me, I, I, you know, anyway, it says this. It says, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers met together, each one looking to Christ. They are in heart nearer to each other than they could ever possibly be. Isn't that just a great example? Those pianos are not tuned to one another. In other words, we don't look at each other and try to create unity and tune ourselves together, but we tune ourselves to Christ, and then we're automatically tuned to one another, just like those pianos are. I love that example. You know, unity was important. Gosh, it was important to Paul, and it's also important to Jesus. Listen to what Jesus said to his disciples. And you know, when I read the Bible, of course, I know there's some kind of bug flying around up here. When I read the Bible, I believe it from in the beginning to that last amen in, in Revelation. 
If I swallow that fly, nobody laugh, okay, because it may go down in a minute if it gets to. But, but I believe the Bible. But listen, when I see those red letters of Jesus, I just pay extra, a little bit extra attention sometimes. I just look at them and think, this is Jesus speaking. Jesus said it. Man, I, I, it, it's a very important. And when he says this, he says it three times. See if you pick up on what he says here. He says to his disciples, A new commandment to love one another as I have loved you, so you also must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my, my disciples if you love one another. He says that term three times that we should love one another. Three times in one verse. And I don't remember if y'all remember Pastor Anthony preaching in the passage of Isaiah. Where the, where the, they were looking at, at God and in Isaiah's vision and they were crying out saying, Holy, holy, holy. And Pastor Anthony said that the three, the number three in the Bible kind of uh, signifies or symbolizes wholeness or perfection or completeness. And I can't help but wonder when Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you to love one another. You must also love one another as I have loved you. By this, everyone will know my disciples if you love one another. He says that three times. And I can't help but wonder if he was not meaning that if we want the world to know that we're his disciples completely and wholly, that we'll love one another. He wanted to drive that point home. We have to love one another. It was important for him to say it enough, to say it three times. And then he went on after this passage, he went on to pray this prayer in John chapter 17. He says this, he says, My prayer is not for them alone, meaning the disciples. In John 17, Jesus first prays for himself, then he prays for his disciples, then he prays for all believers. He prays for the church, he prays for us. But he says, My prayer is not for them alone, talking about the disciples. He said, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us, that's the church. He says, I pray that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so they may be brought to complete unity. There's that word, complete again. Complete unity. Now get this. When we are in complete unity, this is what happens. This is what Jesus said. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. In other words, Jesus said this, I pray, it was Jesus' prayer that we love one another as one, that we have that unity. And he says, God, when that happens, the lost world is going to know that you sent me for them, and the lost world is going to know that I love them as much as you love me, Father. Wow, that's just amazing. And you know, you think about that. And you think about just the opposite of that. When the world sees the church in conflict, when the world sees the church not walking in unity, not contending together for the gospel, sees the church in disarray, sees the church divided, does that mean that the world is not going to know that God sent Jesus for them? And does it mean that the world does not, is not going to know that Jesus is love for them? It could. And listen, no conflict is worth someone's soul be, uh, being sent to hell because they didn't accept Jesus. We got a big responsibility to love, to love one another. Jesus said by that, the world's going to know that you sent me and that they love, that I love them even as you've loved me. You know, unity is a, is a huge thing here at Connect Church and we got a welcome home party coming up a week from this uh, Sunday 
And if you've ever been to a welcome home party and you've ever joined Connect Church, you've seen one of these. This is, a, this is basically a covenant that Pastor Anthony at a welcome home party, he sits and he goes over this with, with whoever's here, whoever desires to, to, to join the church, and then you can ask questions of us. But there's four C's in this covenant, and I'm just gonna, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but I just want to quickly go through them. The first one is Christ. You have to know Christ as your Savior to be a member of Connect Church. The second is Christ-likeness. Your life, you have to strive to live. We know nobody's perfect, but you have to strive to live a Christ-like life. And number, the, the third thing is commitment. If you join Connect Church, there's some expectations. We expect you to, to, to commit to giving some of your time, commit to giving your talents, commit to, 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 you know, we talked about you're being called. We believe you're being called, and we, we, we want you to join the team in, in, in serving. And then also... Uh, you commit your treasure to give back to, to the ministries of Connect Church. But the fourth thing is this. The fourth C is champion of unity. We believe that's so important here at Connect Church. And I just want to read you a little paragraph that goes along with this. It says, champion of unity. Connect Church is a place where broken people are made whole in Christ. We are in no way a perfect church, nor will we ever be a perfect church, However, Connect Church members must fight hard to champion unity in our church by practicing biblical accountability and biblical conflict management. Connect Church members must pray for, protect, and pursue unity with one another. See, unity is important. It was important to Paul, important to Connect Church. It was important to Jesus. And you know, I believe... One of the big reasons it's important. It's just like Jesus said, the world needs to know who he is. Our mission here at Connect Church, we say we want to connect everyone with the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. And listen, we need everybody on board to do that. We need everybody walking together in unity to do that. There's power in unity. And I saw another great example. I'm going to close with this example. If you love science, you're going to love this example. Listen to this. Have you ever wondered what makes a difference between a spotlight that's shining on me right now and a laser beam? How can a medium-powered laser beam burn through a steel, burn through a big piece of steel in a matter of seconds, while the most powerful spotlight can only make it warm? Both may have the same electrical power requirements, but the difference is unity. A laser can simply be described as a medium of excited molecules with mirrors at each end. Some of these molecules naturally decay into le to a less excited state, but in the decaying process, they release a photon, which is a particle of light. Now get this, this is where it gets really good. And this is going to be David, not the scientist speaking. This photon, once it's produced, it kind of walks along and it looks for another molecule that it can connect to. And when it connects to that other molecule, then there's two molecules, two photons producing a particle of light. And then when those two photons get together, they walk along and they rub up against two others, which now there's four molecules, four photons, four particles of light, moving and working in the same direction for the same purpose. And then those four will do the same thing, and that becomes, that becomes eight, and then the eight becomes 16, the 16 becomes 32, 32, 64, and I don't want to mess up the math, so I'm going to stop there, but you get the picture, right? 
these molecules all join and they keep multiplying and growing and multiplying and growing and all going in the same direction. Now listen to what, listen to what the scientists say again. Once these molecules move along and, and they invite other molecules to join, soon there's a huge army of photons marching in step with each other. It is in this unity that gives the laser its power. A spotlight may have just as many photons as a laser beam, but each photon in a spotlight is going its own independent way, occasionally interfering with other photons. As a result, much of its power is wasted and not be cannot be focused to do any useful work. However, the laser beam, because of its unity, is like that army walking in tight formation and it's able to focus all of its power on its objective of cutting that piece of steel. Isn't that a great example of the church and what it should be? If we're all running around like a, uh, like a spotlight and we're all running in different directions, getting in one another's way, nothing's going to get done for the sake of the gospel. But if we're like that laser beam walking side by side with one direction to get the message of Jesus Christ, making sure everyone is connected to that life-changing gospel of Jesus, there is power in that. And church, Paul is saying, for the sake of the gospel, settle your conflicts and focus. Focus on that unity. You know, I believe that unity should be a distinctive mark for the church. I believe when somebody walks in those doors out there, before they get in here and have a seat, they should know, hey, this church is in unity. This church loves Jesus, and this church is working together for that cause. And I believe, I believe a lot of people know that. I believe two years, a little over two years ago, when Laura and I came to this church for the first time, uh, I believe we sensed the unity that was here and the purpose, that, that purpose of, of introducing everybody to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, no group on this earth should work at, walk in unity more other than maybe you and your wife, you and your own immediate family, other than the church, though. The church, we should walk together in unity. Let's pray together. Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.